This is the Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark here. I'm joined here with uh, Andy Nowicki, and we're going to be discussing uh, his new book on Terror House uh, Muse, and then we're also going to be discussing, uh, I'm sure he has questions about my book, Vaporfornia, as well. Uh, Andy, uh, great having you back on the show. I think it's been uh, quite some time, like at least at least five years. It has. We, we, were, we were talking, oh yeah, we, we did some podcasts together for quite a while uh, in the Back in the teens, and and then and then, uh, but this is the first time we've been talking for for several years. So it's good to be back on with you. Yeah, and I know, like uh, I've read some of your earlier work, uh, including Columbine Pilgrim, and uh, and then also uh, Beauty in the Least. I don't think I've ever read. I, I'm actually I forget which ones I've read. I think those one those two I've read: Columbine Pilgrim and Beauty in the Least. I read for sure. Uh, how has your subject matter changed since like your earlier work? I forget when you wrote those. Like you started writing over a decade ago. Yeah, I, I uh, I've been writing fiction for, or I I've, uh, my first published work of of I guess semi fiction was considering suicide, which was published in two thousand nine. Um. That was more sort of a hybrid work. Uh, it's hard to hard to really categorize it. My first work of straight a, straight ahead fiction was the Columbine Pilgrim, which was initially published in 2011, and um, and then that was followed by uh, Under the Nile, which was published later that year, and uh, and then I sort of was on this uh, this streak. I had a streak going for the first half of the the tens. I, I, I was really. Uh, feeling the, the the muses were speaking to me, and I was I was uh, churning out a lot of material. Um, and one of those was Beauty and the Least, which is what. Not, was that not, the one about? It's about a middle aged man who's uh, kind of a loser who develops a crush on a teenage girl at church, and then it ends up turning into some kind of like uh, like supernatural, surreal kind of horror. Yep, that's right. You got it. <laughs> that's what. Then call, that's, yeah, Columbine Pilgrim. Uh, yeah, that one is really kind of like, I feel like it's ahead of its time. It's very mm. timely now, I mean, in kind of kind of a morbid sense, but mm. yeah, and that kind of, like, that kind of genre relating to, like, the, the like, anti-hero who's, like, an alienated loner or kind of, or related to, like, despair, alienation, or the insult uh, theme... Are you sort of associated right. of mostly writing about that topic, or did you go off another direction? I think you wrote another book that was more about like I forget get if it was fiction or not, but I think you wrote another book a couple years like about two years ago, like more about like conspiracy theories. Well, um, my as far as fiction goes, I kind of took a break from writing fiction from 2015, which is uh, when. I published this this malignant mirage, 
which is a collection of short stories. Um, and then I got dropped by uh, countercurrents, but it, it was okay. It all worked out in the end because I got picked up by Terror House, and they republished everything that, uh, that countercurrents dropped. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, that that was a happy, fortunate thing for me. Uh, so I had the re-release of of Columbine Pilgrim, the re-release of Under the Nile, the re-release of um, uh, a couple of other things that I that I had written during that time, um, uh, Lost Violent Souls, uh, and uh, it seems like there was something else as well. But yeah, in in 2021, uh, you know, inspired largely by the events of 2020, I uh, I wrote and published through Terror House a book called The Insurrectionist, and uh, it was. Um, that that is, that I guess is that the book you said you had, you actually had law enforcement come to your house once because of the title of that. <laughs> no, I, I my, when I had the FBI visit me, it wasn't related to the insurrectionists, but 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 yeah, I, <laughs> yes, I, I I know that I know that I'm I'm on, I'm on their list uh, in some mode or manner, um, and um, so yeah, so the insurrectionist uh, you could say was more. It was the first thing that I wrote that was more uh, that 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 still involved the the the, the themes of the alienated uh, loner, but also brought in you know the kind of um, dark uh, you know the darkness that's that that you see amongst the the ruling elites, uh, and um, I guess those those kinds of stories had had kind of filtered down into me into my consciousness uh, by that. I right, sort of so did, like, uh, that theme of like the alienated loner, it, it's become like such a big, like now it's like kind of become like a cliche with like 4chan culture, but it seems like when you wrote Columbine Pilgrim, like that seems to be like it wasn't really, it seems like way like way ahead of its time, but obviously, uh, obviously uh, you wrote that about oh, about over a decade ago after uh, Columbine yeah. happened and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for saying that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was influenced heavily by Columbine, of course, but also by the, the sort of the, the, the cult that had developed around Columbine, which I, which I had followed to a degree. And, and, uh, you know, I was on a message board where I knew a lot of other people who were fascinated by Columbine. And, and so, so part of what went into it was, was, just, was also, uh, some, some consideration of uh, just the, uh, like I said, the cult that had developed around this this event and the kind of people who related to it, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe to an uncomfortable degree, uh, of which I, you know my my antihero Tony Meander is certainly the like the you know the prime example of, of one such person who who relates his own life, the events of his own life, the kind of things that he suffered in his own life and relent he relates them to to uh eric and eric and dylan uh and uh their their massacre at, at columbine so, yeah, um, with music oh yeah a lot of like the insul culture and a lot of like the terminology such as ascension and the black pill ideology is referenced uh, yeah. why did you choose specifically uh for that theme and did you extensively do you extensively like 
uh, research the subculture and the terminology, or were you already sort of like tuned in from just just like Twitter posting and stuff like that? Yeah, I was, you know, I, 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 I it was another kind of deep dive. I, I um, from the year, of, from maybe the year 2015 or so, um, I first, it, I first developed this, this kind of fascination with MGTOW, uh, the MGTOW movement, even though they don't like to call themselves a movement, but, but, you know, the MGTOW philosophy and, and, um, that kind of fascinated me, me for a while. And then I became, and, and you know, through them, I became aware of, of the, the so-called incels. And of course, incel is, is like a, you can't say the word incel without people, you know, it's a very loaded term today. Uh, I think like Zoomers, but, like Zoomers use it as an insult because you can't, you can't say like, that's so gay or call someone gay as an insult. Like even, I mean, that was even like when yeah. I was a teenager, it was still used as an insult. So it sort of replaced that with Zoomers, I think. Yeah. It, yeah, I, I think so. But it's, it's, it implies the same kind of thing. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're not one of us. You're you're a loser. Uh, it, it has all this loaded connotation now, you know. But uh, but I, yeah, I was I was interested. I, I I like I said, did a kind of deep deep dive into the whole uh, the whole subculture. And of course, I'm way you know I'm. It's not my. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm well aware that I'm you know. You were this. The subculture is mainly composed of young men, uh, teenagers, and and men in their 20s and I, I'm much older than that now but uh, nevertheless it, it sort of um, it spoke to me in a way but uh, there were also some things that I found frustrating about it uh, so uh, so yeah but but I, I and and the, the, the whole black pill philosophy was something that you know I kind of got under my skin a little bit just because it's, it's like an invitation to despair uh, it seems like to me and, but I understand and, and can relate to and, and uh, you know, can feel myself to be in some way um, affiliated with. Or Yeah, you've, ha- you've had a lot of, like, success and accomplishments in life. Like, you, you were a college professor, I think an English professor at a college in Georgia. So some people have kind of, like, critiqued, your, critiqued you for maybe putting on too much of a persona about being low status because, in general, people... You think of people trying to status max, like elevate their sense of uh, social status, right? Yeah, I know, and I'm, and I, and I was married, and I have, I do have two children uh, who are now almost, who are, who are now older, you know, almost grown. So I know that 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 puts me beyond. I mean, I, I can't. I'm a fake cell <laughs> to to many, um, but I, I was interested in the in in that entire phenomenon and you know i became aware of the kind of grievances that they had and you know i think that there's a lot of legitimacy to the grievances and and that was what led me to uh to uh led me to write muse uh my latest book um which is now available available from terror house press what uh i i i became motivated to write the first couple chapters of it um and it's it's sort of like uh it's in five chapters and they're all related to one another even if even if it doesn't tell like a like a story from necessarily from beginning to end but i wrote the first what became the first chapter 
um, initially was a standalone piece that I self-published. Would you call it a novel or novella, or do you say like short stories that are interconnected? Yes, novella. I would say, um, you know, I write best novella length. I I like, I I write in the short story medium, and I write in the the novella medium, uh, but it's harder for me to write something that has the length of a novel. The only... The only work that I've published that that's that has the length of a novel is um, my uh, my book Heart Killer. That's that's one that actually comes in and at over two hundred pages. Uh, but but the rest, all the rest of my fiction um, is either co- short story collections or or novella length works. Um, I like to trim the fat. It sort of it just sort of happens. It's just I, I don't I don't want to have a bunch of superfluous stuff. So the first thing that I wrote was a, a piece called um, that became the first chapter of Muse, and, it, and it's, it's called Death by Dream Girl. And the idea is the, uh, what what I imagined uh, the circumstances in this, this story and in Muse generally is that it's the near future and uh, a pharmaceutical company, of course, pharmaceutical, big pharma is very much in the news the last couple of years, so. Um, uh, but, but, uh, some, some pharmaceutical company has developed a, uh, a uh, drug, which is called Muse, spelled M-U-Z-E. And this is a, this is a drug that ostensibly... Was there also, uh, some inspiration or influence from Brave New World? Oh, sure. Selma? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, there, there's, there definitely, I mean, I read Brave New World when I was maybe 20, 21. Yeah, that, that definitely help to fire my imagination about, you know, dystopias and, and so forth, which is, this is like a, this is like another, you know, iteration in the dystopian uh, uh, genre. Um, but the idea is that, that by taking Muse, uh, so-called incels uh, and others who are unlucky in love or, or, or lonely, who can't, who have a hard time, uh, you know, finding a girlfriend or whatever, um, lonely guys generally, they take this substance and uh, the way it's advertised, you, you know, you, you gain confidence and it helps you, uh, uh, you know, become uh, uh, romantically successful. And uh, so that's, that's the premise of it, but yet there is, a, uh, there, there, there is a dark side to Muse. And there's a, uh, it, it, uh, it ends up that a lot of the, the, the guys who take Muse uh, report feeling great and having found a girlfriend, but these girlfriends don't seem to be, don't ever seem to present themselves to oh, others. Yeah, like, yeah, the theme of, like, mind control. Yes, exactly. And and inducement to, there's a suspicion that it's an inducement ultimately to suicide, but that's never... Uh, so, yeah, you know, like, the there's two angles to it. There's, like, the... Mind control theory or like MK Ultra type stuff, but then there's also the theory relating more to like the metaverse and uh, the idea that uh, since society can't give everyone a decent life, given these kind of like forms of escapism, like yeah. VR, uh, pornography, uh, video games, and uh, that's obviously a huge theme in my book, but we'll get to that later. But those are the right. two elements of the muse. Yes, it's not it's not exactly like uh, virtual reality, but it is the, the sense that it in, it seems to induce hallucinations that are very real. Um, 
And so these, so, you know, uh, uh, these, uh, these, this pharmaceutical company, which has come out with this substance, you know, uh, it is, it, it comes to be suspected by some that they have this eugenic, eugenical, uh, idea, uh, behind, or this, this sinister idea of culling the herd, of, of getting rid of these, these men who are dead weight upon the population, you know, in the eyes of the elite who are depopulationist eugenicists, of course. So, um... It's interesting is like that, on kind of like the dissident right, you, you kind of get like both angles, like you get the kind of remnants of like the Alex Jones influence who think the elites are eugenicists who want depopulation, but then you also get the more like HBD side, who's concerned about the opposite. It's kind of ironic that you get both. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. There are pro eugenicists on the, on the, on the distant right uh, as well. And uh, so it is a, it is a point of contention. Um, I mean, I've, I've definitely chosen my side, but, uh, but I know others who are, who are on the other side and who uh, are very much in agreement with the, the uh, the the whole uh, the whole project the the sort of uh, project that we saw uh, inscribed on the Georgia Guidestones, which were oh destroyed. yeah they yeah they were because like I remember like that was like uh, peak kind of like peak Alex Jones from two thousand eight and mm-hmm. like I remember like that kind of all the like the nine eleven truther movement and Alex Jones and talk of like FEMA camps like all the stuff that was big with the Ron Paul movement in two thousand eight. And it's kind of just bizarre. What I find kind of bizarre is like the kind of like normie, like normie Republican, like Trump supporters have like adopted. They've sort of like appropriated all those like ideas that were yeah. popular back then, like the like the Ron Paul Alex Jones from like the Ron Paul Alex Jones days. Yeah, it has it has in some ways become mainstream, which is interesting. Like to the point where now. Being a conspiracy theorist is seen as you know that is something that really gets demonized in the media, whereas like fifteen twenty years ago, a conspiracy theorist would just be sort of a harmless, you know, nut nutball, uh, you know, just be portrayed as as you know just 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 some crazy uh, some crazy person. But whereas now, you know, they're 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 like actively discouraging. They're like going after people. And, uh, and yeah, it's obviously like it's widespread because of social media, but I guess mm-hmm. it's, it, it does seem like a different profile of people because it's like the same people, the same people who were like normie George Bush supporters back in two thousand eight, yeah, are like adopting the ideas of like the nine eleven truthers types. Absolutely, it's it's been a very it was a very interesting shift that we saw happen, uh, and that Trump the, the whole Trump phenomenon you know, took advantage of, I don't know to what extent they created it or to what extent they, it, ha- it was happening and they saw that it, and Trump and his, his allies saw that it was happening and took advantage of it. Um, but it, it's been a really fascinating development. Um, even like, or even sort of like, uh, yeah, like Fox News, yeah, it's sort of like how Fox News was like the enemy of those people mm-hmm. back then and now like Fox News and then Rupert Murdoch, Sky News in Australia is promoting that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, well, like the neocons Carl- who were the enemies of like the Alex Jones yeah. types back then. It's really ironic. Yeah, like Tucker Carlson again. Right. Somebody I suspect might have just changed his persona 
opportunistically. I, I mean, I don't know for sure. But I, I remember in the early 2000s, he was like just another neocon uh, who was who was all in favor. I think was you know thought that the invasion of Iraq was a good idea and and so forth. And now and then in like 2016, I don't know. He was like I thought he was more of like a, like a bow tie wearing libertarian with like a, may have a gig on MSNBC. That may may have been may, maybe he was more libertarian right. uh, or, but he definitely wasn't talking about. He's, he, uh, about uh, the kind of things he's talking about now, uh, that he's been, you know, the things that, that's made him this niche success on, on Fox News, uh, that that wasn't what he was uh, in, like, 2004, 2003, then, 2004 or so on CNN. And then, like, other ideas are uh, trans transhumanism and cloning, and then the Liliths come in, and then there's telepathy, obviously mind right. control, then... Blackmail plays a huge role, and there's a sort of like a uh, kind of like Jeffrey Epstein type theme, but this goes yeah. to like the, narr- the this whole narrative with the senator. There's this uh, senator and his wife, and some kind of like it's like some kind of like orgy, and then there the prota- there's a protagonist. Actually, there's there's multiple protagonists in the in each one, yes. but in this particular uh, chapter. Yeah. He's under mind control, and he thinks he's going to go. I don't know if you want me to give away like spoilers or not, but no, that's you. That's that's fine. Okay, I mean, it's, so it's... he's under like mind control, but he thinks he's going out to to carry out some kind of heroic act, but to save mm-hmm. one of the Liliths. But he's just being uh, played and used. Yeah. Um, yes. The the third chapter of the book, the Lilith line, is where things get kind of. Uh, you know, complicated and convoluted, and and that's where the, the all this all these other elements enter the enter the storyline. Um, the first two stories are are mainly uh, uh, are about two men, two separate men who both of whom who t- both of whom took Muse and then had these experiences under under Muse. But uh, the third story uh, is uh, takes things in a very complicated direction. And yes, you know, I, 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 uh, I studied, you know, I think, um, you, you, you were asking about me and my, you know, my, uh, um, what, what I'd been looking into and, and, uh, how it affect, you know, the sort of, um, the way that my, my studies or, or my interests, my research, if you want to call it that affect, you know, my fiction, the, what the, the overall state of my fiction and, I think that researching and finding out about things like the Franklin scandal uh, and other such stories of child exploitation, um, and, it, and it kind of came to a head, of course, with Epstein. That, and you want to talk about, you know, that that's that kind of storyline. You know, with with Pizzagate, it was, it was like, oh, these people are just a bunch of kooks, and you know, but but then not long after, you know, the media just tried to tamp down. Uh, all manifestations of Pizzagate, you had uh, Jeffrey Ep- the F- Jeffrey Epstein story becoming mainstream, and uh, you know which which uh, that exposed the uh, general population to to the fact that uh, these uh, these so called elites are are trafficking minors, uh, whether they're boys or girls. In some cases, they're girls. In some cases, they're boys. But just they're they're being Exploited, and there's all kinds of nefarious things then going the black, on. Yeah, the blackmail angle 
yeah. is brought up. Yes, exactly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of relevant because I know, like, with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, like, there's none. Basically, zero names were, were named. Ab- yes, absolutely. She, she uh, trafficked uh, children to a bunch of people, and none of those people are have been indicted or, or mentioned. I mean, we've got some investigations into who some of them apparently were, but none of them have been charged uh, with anything. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and Bill Gates knew knew what was going on. You know, he was he was close to he and Jeffrey Epstein were buds, and there are there are all kinds of things, all kinds of nefarious things that that were uncovered. Um, so I think there has been a, yeah, there's there's been a transformation in consciousness, uh, but uh, you know since from from you know 2014 when I wrote when I was writing my last uh, when when I last wrote fiction, uh, from then you know between then and 2021 when I wrote the Insurrectionist and 2022 when I wrote and published uh, News, so. Uh, a different world right now definitely and, and i think my my fiction reflects it uh reflects this this different world i think the that, one the one critique i do have of it overall i, I really in, enjoyed reading it but the one critique i i have of the book is i feel that the ending was too was too abrupt so mm. there was the, the final chapter which is from the perspective of one of, of the liliths and then yeah. from there I just felt it kind of ended abruptly, and then I won't I won't give away the spoiler for the very ending, but maybe there sh- uh, there should have been like more a little bit more uh, suspense before the before it ended. Mm. That's just my take. Well, I, it, is, it was meant to be a kind of cliffhanger ending, and I am working on the sequel now. Okay, uh, well that that makes more sense. But yeah, it is like open. I guess like how much is open ended because right. there's different. Like with my book, I thought I thought a lot about that. Like how much do I reveal too much? Because I don't know if you're a David Lynch fan, but mm-hmm. he's probably famous to like a cliche where he keeps like so much open and open-ended. Yes. I mean, I, I, like, Mahal, I, I, like obviously the best, like Mulholland drive is the best example of that where he won't even interview. Like it's like such a cliche, but he won't even Lynch won't even say what it's about. He says like everyone, it's like for yeah. the viewer to decide, and even a bit with with Lost Highway, even though that's more there's more of a narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or uh, or Blue Velvet, or or right. other others other works of his. Even Twin Peaks. Or, yeah, or Twin Peaks. Yeah, you know, I've kind of had this this love hate sort of thing. Uh, I had I kind of said I had a love hate affair with Lynch movies uh, for a while. Now I'm kind of more mellow about it. I don't really. I don't. I'm not. I don't hate them anymore. What did but you I, hate about them? Well, I, I think what what bothered me was I. I didn't get. I, I got the impression that he was kind of string. He he always kind of strings the audience along, and that they're that they're not that he's kind of just making it up as he goes. And there's it's not really finally about anything. That that's just like he, there's a lot of in, there are intriguing. Oh yeah, like there's a critique of him that maybe he's more. He's not as deep as people say he is, and he's more right. about the visual aesthetic, which is one I don't necessarily totally agree with that. But that's a yeah, that is a critique of him. But a lot of a lot of Lynch is more is not really about like so much about the narrative, but get it more about getting the audience 
to sort of like what's I don't know if I would use the word like hypnagogic, like the sort of feeling of like the semi subconscious, but he wants to get maybe an, an emotion or sense of feeling out of someone rather than like I don't think the narrative is like the focus. Yeah, well, definitely not. Um, and I and I, I hand it hand it to him. He's got he's obviously got chops uh, as a director. He's obviously talented. Um, and when he he did something like the straight story, that was I, I thought, wow, that's ballsy. You know, he this is David Lynch. You know, who makes these depraved. He was even on. He was on Alex Jones like a decade ago. Really, that's funny. But and then he, well, I mean, it was like the most most like sort of uh, right turn, like the most uh, uh, unexpected turn that that to make this wholesome G rated movie uh, about. Uh, you know, a brother going to find his, uh, his, right. uh, I don't think I've ever seen that actually. Really? Oh yeah. Let's, you should see it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's very, you know, it, it, it has, it has Lynch elements, but it's, it's also very wholesome and, you know, <laughs> it's like, wow, this is a David Lynch movie. And, and yet it's, it's, it's rated G it's, it was so that was pretty crazy. Um, so anyway, um, so that's, uh, yeah, I, I would say, um, uh, that pretty well covers Muse. Do you have any other questions, or do you want to shift over yeah, to your... I guess, like, one or two more questions is, uh, sure. what degree is is Muse and your other works, and your work in general, uh, moralistic, like, a, being a moral tale? I think that, um, uh, I think it, there's, it's always informed by, uh, a, a moral sensibility, but there's a lot, there, there is a a lot of depiction of really depraved behavior. I think, yeah, that's what I, I think I may have said on like, a, I remember like a past show is yeah. you, it's kind of both. It's, it's a moral tale, but there's also depictions of depravity because right. a lot of, a lot of, uh, yeah, you're, you're from a Catholic background and probably like more socially conservative, but a lot of Christian media, like a lot of it is actually pretty awful just because they create like this, super clean like whitewashed yeah. view of the world and it's uh it's, yeah like the god the god's not dead kind of kind of uh or like uh, i forget what it is i think it may be like those like kirk cameron films like they're, yeah they're pretty yeah. awful for those reasons but you actually do there is, there is like a tradition of that but it's like it's like socially conservative but you're willing to write about like depravity at the same time absolutely absolutely um and i don't see it as like a as a contradiction because you've, you've got to write, I mean, you've got to cover the, the human condition and the human condition is, is what it is. And so you have to, you can't just skimp on the, the ugly part of things. Um, uh, so, so yeah. Um, you know, as a, I mean, you, you've written what, uh, how many books have you written? How many two, fiction books? Two fiction novels and they're one's a sequel to the other. Okay. So you've written two, fiction works yourself and you probably know that you know when you when you write uh it's when you write fiction um or you you know you use your creative muscles in any way or use your imagination you know it often takes you in places that it's like i I see it as following your muse i I have that kind of uh did you get that from my book as well obviously like someone obviously like well, one of the trad types on Twitter said it was pretty degenerate, but do you get any moral tales from my novel, or did 
you find it more in the um, stick? Yeah, I, I've read one of your books now, Vapor Fornia, and uh, I, I understand that that's the sequel to another book, um, and uh, I haven't I haven't read that one yet. But uh, I, you know, it, it, it seems as though, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could I could see it being informed by some kind of moral sensibility. Um, it's like, um, I, I, you know, I'm curious to know a few things about, about, uh, Vaporfornia, which have you, um, it's, is it, uh, did you publish with a company or do you self-publish? Self-publishing. Okay, cool. Um, and I've self-published a lot too, uh, a lot of things. Um, I guess like one more question I'll ask is you kind of reference Alistair Crowley and, uh, I think like similar to that kind of eugenics theme, I noticed with to kind of dissidents there there's mixed feelings about Crowley because the more like the more kind of uh, Alex Jones kind of uh, conspiratorial angle, and then also like the the more kind of tra- traditionalist right. types tend to despise Crowley. Like he, he represents yeah. he represents like total degeneracy, but I think they also associate his kind of occultism with that of the elites. But there's also at the same time there's like this uh, fascination with with him like I'm not so much like the people who are fascinated by him like for the sort of like shock value or to be transgressive, but more like the interest in his philosophy. And in the book, there's like the example and Muse like the psych the psychiatrist who's struggling between that. Uh, he's right. basically being kind of uh, blackmailed and broken down, but he's convinced that. He wanted to kind of overcome his slave morality, and yes. that's what attracted him to the occult, but then he realized he was just being used, and he didn't really achieve that, but right. there, are, there is a sort of interest in, in like, I'm sure like this is relevant, yeah, this is relevant to my book as well, but like the Crowleyan ideas of like a risk, kind of like aristocratic radicalism and overcoming, mm-hmm. overcoming things like conformity and becoming one's true self. So I think your book, uh, it, it leans more in the sort of trad morality side, but it's not its not like a reactionary who totally kind of dismisses it. Like you do mm-hmm. you do talk about, you really get more in depth about the inner struggle. And there is there is a lot of interest and valid in that, that kind yeah. of philosophy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be preachy. Uh, or more, you know, I don't want to be moralistic. I don't want to. I think you found the perfect balance because Thank you. I think you get to the right level. But I think if you maybe went became too preachy, you mm-hmm. would. It, yeah, we kind of it would kind of ruin it because you want to get like you want to get into the mindset of someone who's in a really dark place, and if you, if yes. you become too preachy and moralistic, it basically it totally ruins it. But you you find the right balance. Thank you. I, I, that, that's uh, nice of you to say. Um, so, uh, so now we flipped. I guess we can flip the, the record and now talk about Vaporfornia a little bit. Um, so, uh, Vaporfornia by Robert Stark um, uh, is a sequel. Uh, tell me the, the name of the book that that that, w- that was the original book. Okay, the original book was Journey to Vapor, okay. Vapor Island, and I wrote that. Uh, Kind of, it was like a satire. It was influenced by your work, but only to a degree of like it is about that narrative about the alienated 
like outcast who is like at, at war against like society. But right. then you have that angle, that influence, and then it's also more, but then more kind of more fantasy, more surreal. But then it's also it's it's a dark comedy, but it's also a very funny book. I'm trying to get. I wrote I wrote it in. I published it in 2017, and it took me almost. I probably started writing it in, in like 2015, so I'm, I'm trying to get back maybe into the mindset of when I first wrote it. But yeah, those are basically the the influences. And it seems like it was tangentially about a certain uh, uh, supposed uh, slaughter that supposedly took place in a certain elementary school in the northeast. No, no, actually. Oh, I know, I know what you're talking about, but no, that was actually not. I didn't, I, I didn't have that in mind. I think you're maybe thinking about the location. The book takes place mm-hmm. in the Northeast, but actually, I, I didn't have that in particular in mind. Okay, it was more, but I did influence me from from your, I think, from your work and from the the genre, that kind of like genre in general. Right. But I, I didn't have that particular in mind. But things like, uh, okay. yeah, like there, there was like. Obviously, Colin Bine and then uh, Elliot Roger, and just yes. more like the archetype. Yes. Okay. That's un- that's understandable. But uh, your your um, your protagonist is somebody who, first oh, of all, I have second, to say, in the sequel, in the sequel. So I guess to kind of introduce the sequel, the sequel, yeah. the, this protagonist is it's, it deals with the aftermath, and he has some interest in the subject matter and it's uh, revealed like there there's some connection between the character but he has a lot of it's a lot of it is, is about his inner struggle and like the the guilt and shame he has of having some like potential connection yeah yeah and it seems like at the beginning of the story he seems to be someone who is struggling really hard to be politically correct and you know, to think of like to be uh, like that, like he's got this very SJW kind of mindset, right? That right. He, he keeps, you know, he keeps coming back to. He keeps repeating these kinds of SJW esque mantras, but then there at the same time, uh, he's also been has been pulled into this. Um, well, yeah, like with that, he's sort of reacting to the realities of his environment, like the social pressures. Yeah, yeah, of the environment he's in, like what he was taught in school, and a lot of it reflects like his personal neuroticism. But like, to what degree, do, like, would you say does he come across as mentally unstable? Oh yeah, uh, I would say so. But I mean, it's it, you, you, it it's not. I uh, to me, it wasn't apparent at first that that was the case. Um, uh, at first, he just seemed like somebody who was just trying really hard to sit to say quote unquote, the, the quote unquote right thing uh, in response to yeah like these layers are they're revealed they're kind of revealed like peeling an onion I don't know if you want to be like a kind of armchair like psychologist but would you say he's like a fundamentally broken person if you're looking at this character from as an outside observer yeah it seems to be somebody who doesn't really know doesn't really have any any place. Seems to be a loner. Seems to be somebody who doesn't have many friends or any friends. Maybe uh, and has a hard time getting along with others, and and sort of is this misfit. And his family is ashamed of him and thinks he's a freak. Um, and uh, so he eventually just gets lumped together with. Uh, he, he gets 
called an incel and gets lumped together with the, the incel crowd. He's um, part, yeah, he's like part of it, but he's like trying to mask it with like the woke stuff. And like I reach, I initially wrote it as like an, Amer- like an American History X in reverse, but I decided against that because I didn't want it to be like a cliche dissident right book. I wanted it to have more like nuance. And, right. Uh, that's a that's a hell of a sales pitch, though. I really like the American History X in reverse. That's probably been written by some <laughs> dissident right publishing co- company. But that's just not what I necessarily want to do. So his politics it is influenced by both his his relation to society, like thoughts on issues like status, and obviously his personal psychological state is going right. to. Uh, going to influence that. And then, like, these kind of new ideas. Uh, yeah, I mean, he does want to, wants to look out for his rational self-interest at some point. So these new ideas are kind of, like, influenced. They're introduced by this candidate, this fictional presidential candidate, uh, right. Roger Blackstone. Who, uh, R- Roger Blackstone seems to be, of course, there's Roger Stone, right? Who, I mean, there's the obvious uh, comparison there. Yeah, no, that wasn't even... That I mean, that's purely purely coincidental. Uh, Interesting. I, so I came up with this name. I was writing. Uh, well, you, this may interest you because you're you're uh, friends with uh, Ann Sturzinger. She was helping me write some screenplay for like a student oh. film project. Yeah, I remember called, that. Yeah, 120 days in Isla Vista. And uh, when 120 when the, days, yeah, like I was going to make that as like a student film project, but I decided oh. against it because like the timing was awful. Like the tragedy yeah. happened about like about like five months after that was written, and it was a it was a total coincidence. But yeah, it would obviously would have been in bad taste, and I kind of also I didn't really have. I over I was maybe over enthusiastic about it about putting right. together the project, and and I knew I knew people who were going to act, but it was just I, I I was overly ambitious with this was a thing. Ann Sturzinger wrote it for me, and uh, there was Roger Blackstone. So I got the name Blackstone. It was a city. It was the name of a street, of a city in California I live, which I like the sound of, and yeah, it also has nothing to do with the Blackstone Group. In yeah. real estate, but that's another coincidence. Another, another so interesting. Roger, I just picked up from the name. I think it was the name of the alien on the Seth MacFarlane show American Dad, and it was about some some like struggling actor who's going to be in some like college type comedy, but he's reliving his own trauma, and then some reference to like Desad's 120 Days in Sodom, and then that yeah. never nothing ever came into fruition about that. But I recite. I ended up like recycling the name Roger Blackstone. But yeah, like, mm-hmm. ba- I think like back to the ca- the character Roger Blackstone. When I first wrote the character in the first book in 2017, yeah, there are pretty like obvious like Trump comparisons. Right. But then I think the character uh, evolved evolved from there, and what. He's like a. He's like a. Uh, he's like if Trump were uh, like a, like a. I don't know. Like more aesthetically fascistic. Yeah, he's know? also a. He's also like a self, like a self satire of some of my writing, political writings on Substack, of that kind of centrism. But what do you make? 
Well, yeah, yeah, but very, very like grandiose. What do you make of his ideology? But he's not like you wouldn't. He's not a conservative. No, well, he seemed like somebody that would be more like more in line with what the the what the alt right supposedly stood for when it was you know when uh, like uh, like you talked about you talk about the what are the, what are his followers called again the aesthetic uh, the aesthetic revolution yeah. He, and that, he disowns them. He denounces them. They have nothing to do right. with the campaign. Right. You would but say, like, like, not... Yeah, so, like, we kind of talk... Like, we we talk about, like, the... The two sides of the dissident, right? Like, the more kind of Promethean... The more kind of uh, Promethean side right. and the more conservative or traditionalist side. And yes. Blackstone would... He doesn't fit in like neatly to any existing political figure, but a more more kind of Promethean side. Yeah, but, he's more. If Trump were like a, a Nietzschean or or a or just like there's a lot about aesthetics and a lot a lot about um, which I thought was kind of amusing. Just this whole emphasis on we, we've got to bring in more beautiful white people, <laughs> like, like uh, you know we we've got to make. Make make things more beautiful and and uh, more but then, pretty. Yeah, but then is he also kind of a, kind of a centrist? I guess like well he's not he's 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 not like a you know pre like a pro free market libertarian libertarian leaning kind of person. He's not the standard Republican type of person. Uh, but he he's also very easily distinguished from the like from the Democrat the leftist Democrat who you have portrayed in in the book. Oh who's yeah, like, like the. The debate scene, like a lot of people really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was so. It was. It was interesting. I mean, I, I, he was definitely somebody who who seemed to be influenced. You seemed as a writer to be influenced by the Trump phenomenon. But, that's true. But like, it, I don't. Uh, like, I don't really want to get into a whole tangent about this, but I guess it does reflect like my my personal. Uh, political interest because like I supported Trump in 2016 but then I I didn't have any uh, interest in him like after that Mm. and so this did you sort of think of this conceive of this character as somebody who was like a Trump figure who went beyond Trump like who who uh, like the whatever the the kind of um, revolution that Trump represented where you know he was bringing in these these people into politics or, you know, bringing in these people who had not been welcome in the Republican party before, uh, like the, the, you know, the, the more, um, you know, uh, um, like America first kind of, kind of, uh, stances, his, his, his stance, uh, uh, you know, in favor of American nationalism and American labor and not so much just, you know, let the free market take care of everything and, and, uh, uh, you know, what well, sort of, but he's sort of beyond that, like his ideas, like, like about aesthetics, like they sort of go like beyond like nationalism and beyond like the left, right dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. So this character plays a role in the, in the, in the, in your book and your hero, uh, or your anti-hero, whatever he, whoever he is, the protagonist actually meets him at one point And then. Uh, at some other point, he actually gets kidnapped by somebody by some Hollywood type. Some oh, Hollywood. Oh yeah, type. yeah. That that part <laughs> where he's up in that takes place in the mountains near Yosemite, and uh, 
he leaves home and uh, he's uh, suicidal and he gets stranded up in the mountains. He runs out of gas. Yeah. Uh, and then from there he does get he gets kidnapped by some kind of mysterious figures and like so, like kind of a Harvey Weinstein type of. Meshel, Ari Meshel, yeah, like, Meshel's kind of a Harvey Weinstein type, yeah, that part, yeah, that part is, so, like, what do you think about the whole, like, the Hollywood, like, blackmail angle and the whole kind of show, it's like a, sort of like a twist, a more twisted version of, like, Sam Hyde's Billion Dollar Extreme, what do you think about (laughs) that angle, and if you had to, like, say, which parts of the book really stood out to you, like, did you have a favorite part, and... A, p- a part of the book that was maybe you were less enthusiastic. Some parts like grabbed your attention more than others. Well, I, I would say you know I, I wasn't I, the, the first few chapters were like I was. It, it was uh, it took me a while to get involved in the story uh, because I, I wasn't sure exactly where things were going at first, uh, and I wasn't sure what to make of the guy at first. Like his his uh, his sort of anal woke anally woke uh, perspective on things. I wasn't sure what, what I was supposed to think about that at first. Um, well, it became clear later that he was, you know, so, that it was just to be seen in context with who he was and what he was struggling with. And then, you know, I started to to get more, more of a handle, I think, on, you know, what was going on with him. And I, I do think, like, the, the whole part where he gets kidnapped and and then forced to participate in these um, humiliating rituals, which, I mean, I've got to ask, like, like I think the thing that stands out the most, it just, just, um, just viscerally. Uh, oh, yeah, like, I don't want to... I want me to say it, uh, say it directly. I don't know how here. graphic it needs to be, but yeah, like all the, the kind of like rituals that, yeah. some of them are performed in the show, and some of them are yeah. more more kind of, like, secretive and, uh, like, I'll say, like, what they're, like, some of them are referencing for some of these kind of, like, different kind of, like, urban legends, but there, there's a lot of, like, metaphors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you, sure. like, would call them, like, fetishes, but there are different metaphors, sure. like, metaphors for, for simping, the idea that people will accept humiliation in exchange for having a role in the hierarchy rather than total atomization. And mm-hmm. then there's also some critiques of like social arrangements and like anonymous social hierarchies and even like the anonymous, the anonymous uh, exploitation in kind of consumer capitalism, even examples of like sweatshop labor and factory farming. It might sound like more like a, like a Marxist or like post left kind of critique, but Without yeah, without being like too crude, that's sort of like the the symbolism behind that. But what did you what did you make of that that angle? Well, I thought that was um, I thought that recruiting uh, so called incels to play a certain role to uh, for for the benefit of beautiful girls, you know, snobby beautiful girls who saw who who would never entertain the idea of being with an incel romantically but uh but who who may who were okay with the idea it's it's sort of like a hierarchical a, a hierarchical agreement where maybe it's semi symbiotic but as opposed to like total like total uh like atomization 
Yeah, I guess so. Like um, the the way that the, that the the uh, your your protagonist, the things that he gets roped into doing, obviously he's being taken advantage of. Do you see it as him being exploited or or partaking in something that that he could never dream of in a million years? Someone like him. Well, or it's both. both. It's both. It, yeah, it, it, well, that's how it struck me. Like, um, and I, I thought that was uh, an interesting idea. Now, again, I, you don't want to. I know you don't want to say be graphic about it, but did you come up with that notion yourself, or did, is that something you heard somewhere that this kind of this kind of activity um, was it something you you I came think up with? It was initially I came up with it as a kind of like a parody of like these those kind of like weird like moral moral hysteria, hysteria as Oprah Winfrey was talking about like 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Did it come across uh-huh. as totally outlandish or you could see something like that? <laughs> it's pretty outlandish, but I mean, it, and, and uh, pretty disgusting, but I'm not saying that to put it down. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because it's like, it is, it is taking these men who are, who are seen like the, the the lower eighty percent or whatever the, the ones who just get ignored in the uh, the new social media environments, uh, you know the non chads. Uh, it, it's it's taking them and saying, uh, you know we we still despise you. You're still beneath us, and you disgust us. But we will we will allow you to do this for us. Um, and I mean that that seemed like. Like, like you say, you see, like how that, that, like, people choosing choosing humiliation for having a rule in the hierarchy rather than uh, total atomization. Yeah. yeah, I guess, and that's I could never tell. I guess the hero, your your protagonist, always feels like kind of um, a little bit uh, uh, ambiguous about being thrust into these positions. Because in a way, uh, you know, he, he dislikes it and feels uh, that he's being used. Yeah, conflicted. And, and also, like, what did you make of the whole, like, the blackmail, Hollywood kind of blackmail angle? And then overall, did you prefer yeah. the the beginning of the book about his life story? Or did you prefer the, the second part, the first part in the Bay Area, then he goes to, up to the Valley of the Mountains? And then the whole Hollywood part in L.A., you would say that part stood out the most? And also, to what degree did you find it a comedy, a lighthearted, or were there parts where it tugged at you emotionally, or both? Um, I would I would say it's a dark comedy, right? Dark comedy, um, and, and and I would say it's like a it's a depiction of uh, degradation, um, and and so you know the like I guess you know like the metaphor you would draw maybe to slavery. You know where where some you know like the the more uppity slaves felt like they were serving more of a purpose, like the whole you know the the the, the right right the, you know the difference between the, the the field slave and a house slave, I guess that you often hear invoked. Um, it seemed like the these um, like the hero who is who represents the incel community. Even, even though he doesn't want to. Did you um, find rhythm. him like, sympathetic to 
I think he's more like the first character would be could be perceived as like more psychopathic. He is referenced like gnome, but I think a good way to describe them like they're kind of he is more like this character. He is very he's more conscientious, but you could say like the two different characters yeah. and like gnome is referenced from the first book in this book, but you could say they're they they represent like different sides of the same archetype. And I think Blackstone also represents, could represent part of the archetype, like the idea, the more kind of a Nietzschean idea of what the two different protagonists would like to aspire to. So different, like different archetypes, different aspects of the same archetype in some ways. Yeah. Um, again, I haven't read your first book yet, but, uh, but, um, but like if that's, if the, if the character in the first book was more of, you know, like a somebody who was angry about being uh, being treated in this way, being being treated like dirt, being you know treated as if he were inhuman or what or unworthy of human companionship, and he chose to strike back in re, in retaliation in doing what he did. Whereas this, the character uh, in this book seems to be more. Um, just a just a reactive kind of person like not somebody who who uh oh, like um just somebody who just gets just swept along by what you know uh whatever's happening to him at the moment and he doesn't seem to have that much of a of a spine or that much of a like a you know I'm, there's not much of a aspect of him that's like i'm going to put my foot down now and not tolerate this any longer yeah it's like he just he kind of has this he kind of feels um helpless even like towards the ending there like there's this transformation but to what degree is there a transformation like does his whole like adventure does it transform him or you still get the impression he's the same person towards the ending he there is a happy ending that's somewhat open-ended but it is sort yeah. of based in element of luck the ending, I, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be him just 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 uh, retreating into his fantasy. Yeah, I think another uh, thing I thought about it is like it, maybe it's an interpretation of someone having like a do-over in life on like an right. alternative timeline. Like there is somewhat some things are a bit like lynching in that regards, open to interpretation, kind of semi-open to interpretation. Yeah. What were your thoughts about the whole idea, like him entering, like the dream world, or it feels like another dimension, like the the vapor? Yeah, the vapor. That seemed like a. There are two things that seem to be thematically or or uh, thematically important or important as far as setting goes in your book. One was it seemed like it was like like this like California seemed to play a very strong role. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I, I guess you're a native. Californian. Yes. And I guess you still live there. So uh, it seemed like the setting was, was important in, in many respects. Um, and also um, the vapor, which I guess is some, is sort of similar to the, the like a virtual reality kind of um, notion. That part I'd say is open to interpretation. It could be another dimension. It yeah. could be represent like maladaptive daydreams like or it could be like lost like lost futures and alternative timeline or it could be an actual like literal 
other dimension, that part is open to interpretation. But VR, like VR, yeah, VR is being referenced. That's that's a huge theme, uh-huh. and uh, and that's certainly become relevant. And more very, relevant, yeah, to... very like descriptive. A lot of like location, different locations in California. That plays a huge theme as well, and kind of like relevant to that is I remember it's kind of it's kind of ironic, kind of coincidental because I remember you visited LA and you made this video of yourself walking around like Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Yeah. What did you call it? <laughs> uh, I don't to remember. Do with like low status, and then I made a documentary <laughs> of Luke Ford called Supply, and I had uh-huh. like a whole montage of walking around there. And about, it's a mockumentary about like kind of a character based on myself going to right. LA to make it a lot of like a lot of narcissism. And then I don't know if you've seen it, but then I end up, it turns into like a lecture at Luke Ford's house. If no, you, I have not seen it. The documentary is like very is it relevant. On YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube supply. Mm-hmm. It is very relevant to the, like, to the, to the book. And Matt Pegas and I made yeah. that in, uh, we made that when I read the time we first met, and I know like he has a book. You read his book also at Terror House, like Dragon yeah. Day. We wrote we wrote our books, Vapor Fornia and Dragon Day, like around the same time. And I think his writing you style is different. But part I think of your universe too. It was like uh, oh, it's referenced, you, right? It's referenced. Yeah. But the, you the think yeah, like explained. similar, very very similar themes. Yeah. We're seeing it's like some like fascist, like there's like some fascist, like homo nationalist cult. Well, yeah, that's another thing I want. I was curious to to ask about something that uh, it seems like a it's it's a commonality in your work and in Matt Vegas's work is that the the uh, the protagonist uh, seems to be mostly uh, heterosexual, but also has this. Yeah, like I uh, intentionally keep that ambiguous. Well, there are some homoerotic scenes in both of your books um, that I just thought that was interesting. Like, why why is that happening? What's so with, what's going with on book, with that? <laughs> it is about like there's different angles to it. There's part of his sense of like humiliation being mogged and his like struggle with masculinity. But I keep, I try to keep that ambiguous. I think he does like. It's like, he, if you would ask him, he would say he's straight, but he's an ally to the LGBT community from a woke angle. But yeah. there is something about, like, the aesthetic. Like, of, he's preppy boys. He's, and, he's uh, like, he feels together. a sense of inadequacy of what he can't, like, live up to. And then, But I yeah. think, actually, the ins- initial inspiration was as more... It was meant as, like, a parody for the kind of, like, the... The kind of, like, crypto, like, homonat types, like the Baptist... And like all these like esoteric like right wing nudist bodybuilders yeah. on Twitter, it was kind of I think the initial <laughs> inspiration was a kind of parody of that. And then you yeah. also that's a huge theme in Matt's book too, like with Professor Wallenford, the scene between yes. Toby and Professor Wallenford in the yes. locker room. It's a yeah, it's a it's a terrifying scene that that Matt writes there, but it's also it also has this undercurrent of uh, you know of uh, eroticism. To it as and the well. same kind so, of like yeah, a lot of the same satire, like literary philology, like coming up a lot of like a lot of inside jokes jokes in my book, like referencing referencing to online subcultures, but inside jokes that are unique to the book. 
like that literary theology that's totally outrageous like what did you think about about literary comparisons i think i've heard uh like the traveling the kind of like traveling adventure genre uh-huh. like Gulliver's travels but then like on also the road, heard, like, like lucky, on the road uh and then like fear like also like fear and loathing in las vegas a bit into falls down genre but then i've also heard comparisons to lucky Jin and confederacy of dentists Oh yeah, well those are that's some good company to be in there. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I can see I can see those comparisons. I don't know if when I was reading it, it's like it struck me that this was like this. And then also, I, I don't know uh, if I saw your your also William S. Burroughs. Yeah, yeah, okay, I can I can definitely see that too. Um, like some of the more uh, surreal and like surreal slash disgusting. Um, and I'm not saying that to, like to, to put it down, but just you know, like the, that that kind of visceral um, uh, depiction of uh, sexuality, you know, sometimes homoerotic sexuality, but like in this kind of you know, in, in this uh, like kind of degrading uh, manner. Like, I think your hero is someone who who ultimately finds himself degraded no matter what where he goes no matter what he does kind of like the gro- the depiction of, out- of like the outright grotesque being a metaphor yeah. for what exists in reality but that's kind of that's kind of a yeah. mass yes yeah um I, I can definitely see that um and and your protagonist is interesting for being somebody who doesn't really have that much motivation um, but you know, just gets carried along by events, and, and we just—he he has illusions of grandeur and elements sure. of like, vul- like vulnerable narcissism. But at the same time, like he's a bit like there's also a sense like he's not really—he's a day he daydreams, but he's not really aggressive about taking action. Yes, exactly. Though he does feel um, like there is a sense of. Or maybe he won. He like he wants to do great things, wants to work hard, but he's just a sense of like being, but also a sense of being lost. Like he doesn't have a clear. I there. I, I can see a kind of comparison Some, to yeah. Doctor Omega. To Doctor Omega. Right. And my... then how much of it like? But then these kind of like these other kind of like philosophical questions, like how much do you see him as like a screwed over a victim of society, or do you see a lot of it? Yeah. Or do you see more as a flawed person? That, as an individual like, or a combination he, of both. Someone, he seems like someone who's been put at a disadvantage in many ways and who just, um, I don't know, like, is, 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 wants to belong, you know, just like, just like Patrick Bateman says in, uh, in, um, American Psycho, I want to fit in, you know, that's kind of an unlikely thing that, you know, we, the fact that he says that, right? right. That's another, Another character, like another one of those, it's been called literally me. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Like people say, you know, people watch these movies like Taxi Driver or American Psycho or um, uh, Fight Club or Joker, where they have this, they, they develop this kind of intense kind of bond with the, the protagonist, uh, even though he's like very, he's most often like an anti-hero. I think in fiction also how it's sort of like Taxi Driver and epitomizes this were 
think even some of Schrader's other films, including Mishima, Life in Four Chapters, Paul Schrader, yeah. but it's sort of like the protagonist, it's this sort of like God self, like looking at the world, experiencing it through the protagonist, uh, through through their uh, personal experience, rather than, I think the majority of movies are about, you're watching the characters as like a spectator, or you're observing their social circle, about them socializing. It's a, it's a kind of a unique uh, sense of narration yeah. where you're experiencing, I think it's more common in literature, but you experience the world through the protagonist's, uh, their subconscious and their, their experience of life. Yeah. I think I touched on this, but I'd say yeah, also sense of place and description of geographic locations is huge. Yes. I mean, you seem to be somebody who has like uh, um, has a lot of affection for your home state and that's, that's good. You know, even though yeah, it's both, but then yeah, all this talk of California and decay that plays into the book. It kind of played off both like utopianism, but then like the, the dystopia or decay, it wasn't explicit one way or the other. And I think like right wingers like to shit on California, but it is yeah. in some ways it actually is like a pro pro California book. It's not, it's not yeah. like something a right winger would write like, uh, Oh, like California sucks. There's homeless feces everywhere. Though it does <laughs> have some of that. <laughs> Well, I guess that it's it's a paradox, right? Because California still has this this image of being where the the, the place right. of ideal beauty, like like Hollywood and and like your your preppy girl, your college girls, uh, you know. Kind of like, like the theme of lost future is like what like the future, like what could have been the idea of like the future we should have had exist on an alternative timeline, and then even like I don't know like. You seem to write about '80s nostalgia. Did you pick up on the '80s nostalgia parts of the book too, or you thought that was more of a sideline? I'm trying to remember that, like, like can the you, nightclub, can you the dance club scene in Santa Cruz. Okay. Um, or even with Blackstone. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, I guess Blackstone being a, like an echo of Trump, who, who Trump first was around in the '80s. Trump was right. very associated. With the 80s. I guess the protagonist, oh. he would be, uh, he would be a Zoomer, but the thing is, because, like, with postmodernism, like, all these different past genres are constantly being kind of, like, collaged together. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's for sure. We're getting close to the end of the show. Andy, is there anything else you, you'd like to comment on from my book, or that you would like to plug from your book, plug about your book, and then also, uh, just to kind of remind the audience, uh, it's on, so it's Matt Forney's, uh, Terror House Publishing. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for sh- showing me your book or, or letting me read your book. And I'm interested in reading the, the, uh, the prequel as well, but we're, I guess the first book in the, the, the book that this is, that you, that this one is a sequel to. Um, and, um, so yeah, it's, it, it was, uh, it was interesting to, to talk about the, the themes and maybe what our, what our books have in common, uh, like reflecting on the same time and in a slightly different way from different perspectives, but but a lot of the a lot of similar um, themes and so forth. As far as uh, what I'd like to convey to the audience about also, where to find, do you have a site for your writing you want to plug? Where do you most well, um, my uh, um, 
my work can be found. I, I have an Amazon page that that has all of my all of my books. I also have a writer's page called. Oh, like a blog? Um, Are you still blogging? I'm well. I'm. Uh, I'm. I have a Substack page now. Um, okay. So. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that that can be found at andynowicki.substack.com. I guess we both are, are on Substack. Right. It seems to be the. It seems to be a bastion of free speech. You know where where you where anything you well, write. For now, yeah. Is, is, yeah, it's for, for now, yeah. But uh, so I, I've I've gravitated to to Substack and and uh, have written a lot of stuff there actually recently. But uh, so you can find me on my Substack page. Uh, you can find uh, my my author page is altrightnovelist.com. Uh, it's a little bit outdated, but but yeah, like can I go don't, there. Uh, like no offense, but I don't think that's the best brand to still use. Yeah. I agree. I don't. I, I don't know how to change it though. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm very. I'm very like very much a boomer when it comes right. to stuff like that. So I set it up through somebody else uh, who I'm no longer in contact with. Um, so may, I don't know if I'll just let it go into abeyance or or if I'll change the, the find a way to change the the name of it. But uh, but you know it's it's what I it's it's the or it's sort of the the origins it's what i came came out it's the the uh the scene that i came out of and i'm not ashamed of anything that i wrote or anything that i mean i'm not it's not i'm not running away from anything that i was uh that i was affiliated with before um but i mean i i have obviously that scene uh exploded and and went its own way um and uh, i'm no longer in contact with most of the people who were a part of it but um Certainly not Richard Spencer or or even Colin Liddell now, but uh, oh, you know yeah, time marks on. Yeah, you were writing for Affirmative Rights several years ago, and then, yeah, I know like uh, a lot of it, like like what what, what Matt Forney is doing with uh, Terror House. Uh, it's it's more about like culture. I see like yeah. a big an alternative like culture scene growing, like with what Forney's doing, Matt Forney's doing. But a yeah. lot, of, you know, so many people are burned out by the politics. Yeah, and I think you know I am a big proponent of fiction. I'm, I was a, as you say, I was an English teacher. I'm I'm not presently an English teacher, but but uh, I believe very strongly in literature. Um, I mean I mean I'm very much an advocate of the can't you know the Western canon, um, and uh, you know reading the classics and everything. And so yeah yeah I think that a lot of people, I mean a lot of people who are interested who are into dissident right subjects are just sort of news oriented or just just like they yeah, gravitate like, even with like libs of uh tiktok like obviously yeah the woke stuff is obviously insane but at a certain point like i feel like with libs of tiktok like it is becomes very kind of anti-intellectual it's just like outrage porn where it's like oh look yeah. at those like disgusting woke lunatics but then like they're not it's like they're just they're basing their whole politics on the other side being insane, but they're not producing yeah. anything intellectual. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think literature is a way to to build a bulwark of something that's not just, you know, tearing down. Like, we need to tear down the degeneracy that, 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 that we see around us, no doubt. But we also need to build something that's in its place. And I think literature is a way, you know, literature, poetry, um, uh, books... Uh, novels, novellas, uh, you know, just just fiction writing in general, and and uh, and um, and other aspect, other literary um, 
ways of expression, manners of expression are, are useful in that regard. So, so yeah, so, um, you can, I think people who, who want to find out about me can just enter my name in a search engine. Um, and, uh, they can find me there, but are I certainly want to, <laughs> I don't have a Wikipedia that's, um, that's, that's written specifically about me. I'm mentioned in a couple of other Wikipedia entries. Well, you I'm, are I'm, on, uh, Google your name. You're on rate my professor. Oh, you yes, got, let's I, see. Well, you got a, you seem to have good reviews though. I do for the most part. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I think that like there, there's some, some incel group has, uh, has a, like their own Wikipedia and I'm listed in, uh, there. Oh, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> I've got my own entry there. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I pop up in some interesting places. And of course they, the famous or infamous ADL, right, uh, hit right. I mean, you, you, I, I wish I could escape it, but you know, the, the alt-right and the alt-light naming the hate. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the top ten, uh, you know, I'm on team alt-right for that, that article, which was written several years ago. But, um, but yeah, so um, I would definitely want to promote Terror House. I think it's it's uh, terrorhouse.com um, for anyone who's interested in, in uh, you know, in literature, people that are writing today. Uh, in a not not in a narrowly political way, but to build build up the culture um, and uh, you know provocative work, I, I would definitely recommend they they, they uh, take a look at Terror House. And um, I you know I do I of course want to promote my book, which we talked about the, for the first half of our of our conversation, which is called Muse M U Z E, and it can be found um, lots of places, um, but but you know most. Most importantly, it's, it can be purchased from terrorhousepress.com. Um, I think I said it was terrorhouse.com. I think it's terrorhousepress.com. Oh, right, right. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's what I would say. Um, and I and I still have a YouTube channel, uh, which is, I mean, my that's still something I uh, keep going. Even though my first the the YouTube channel that I had where where I recorded my Adventures in California uh, has that one was oh, new. Right, you did go to California. <laughs> I did in back in twenty nineteen. Like ten years ago, didn't some people like you raise money to send you to Africa? What was I forget the context yeah. of that? That was that was twenty eleven, and uh, um, I don't know if people raised money. Uh, it was it was uh, was it a jo- und- was it a joke like trolling like the alt right types? Because I mean, this is total. Actually, I mean, this is totally off topic on a tangent, but I'm kind of curious. It was, it was, uh, it was funded by NPI, you know, Richard Spencer's organization. And I, it was something I pitched to him because I was fascinated. I was interested in the Afrikaner nation, you know, after the fall of, of, uh, apartheid and the rise of the ANC, you know, in, in South Africa, I was, I was, you know, really interested in, uh, visiting South Africa and meeting some people and talking about, what things were like now, uh, and that was back in 2011. But I mean, he he ended up, and it was it was an article that I wrote that ended up eventually in Radix, that which was the print journal that that uh, Richard had going for a for a short period of time, and then just sort of discontinued. Um, yeah, what was your impression? Did you like where did you go specifically, and did you generally uh, have a positive impression? 
It was fascinating. I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a place where you were, I mean, and I'm, and I'm talking about it. It's 11 like years old. The, so I don't know. Did you I don't go mostly know. to like the touristy areas or more venturesome well, places? Well, I mean, I did visit the Vortrekker Monument in oh, Pretoria. Right, I think I saw that, yeah. But um, I also, yeah, I, I stayed with some, uh, a, a couple of friends that I had made online, and I visited Orania, um, which is like the sort of the Afrikaner mini right. uh, homeland uh, in, uh, like in the in the middle part of the the country, um, and yeah, that was it was a fascinating trip, and uh, you know, but but uh, it's it's not a place. I mean. I, I was there for two weeks and it, it, I, it was fine. I, I wasn't the victim of any crimes or anything, but I do know that it's a place where a lot of people are on edge. And, uh, you know, you, you visit a, a neighborhood and there are huge fences around every single house that, you know, it's like everybody's aware of the, the crime problem. Um, so I don't know how much has changed uh, in the 11 years since I, since I went there. I mean, Mandela died. And I think there was a lot of people. A lot of a lot of people feared that everything would would fall apart. Uh, yeah, it seems to be well, kind of like a more a more kind of like gradual, like gradual kind of decline. Yeah. But that seems to be the yeah. case in most places that's, because that's, because you see yeah. this with America too, and yeah. uh, like people are saying, oh, there's gonna be there's gonna be a collapse. But I mean, even even if you look at like I know like there are there is all this global civil unrest. Like you saw those like those pictures from Sri Lanka of like protesters going into the presidential palace, but in a lot of ways, like it seems to be that it does seem like kind of a collapse theory. It's more of a kind of like a fantasy or a cope because like we had like we had COVID, and then we had like those like riots in 2020 that felt kind of apocalyptic, but then things felt kind of like stagnant again. So. It's funny and then that kind you of, yeah, like the, then also you have like be, Peter, be I don't know if you're familiar, like Peter Turchin has this theory about like civilizational cycles where he studies it. He studies them like mathematically and mm-hmm. like there's eras of, and then there's like the, the turning theory, but in a lot of ways, like there is, there is a lot of crisis going on and like obviously supply chain issues and inflation, but mm-hmm. I remember, like, we were talking about, like, the Alex Jones and conspiracy theorist types earlier on in the show, and they were predicting, like, this giant collapse a decade ago. Yeah. But even, but even then, like, it seems like things have basically, it's been more of kind of like a slow, a slow, steady, like, decline or stagnation. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that things feel right now like they're closer to falling apart than they've ever felt in my lifetime, and I've lived a half a century. Uh, so... So uh, there, there is this sense of things uh, falling apart. I wouldn't call it a cope, though. I, I don't. I, I find it terrifying. Or, yeah, like I think. Yeah, I think you're right because if we are close to collapse, it is. It is now. Like obviously, also. Yeah, like also, like the war between Ukraine and Russia, and potential for like global civil unrest. But then there's also like the kind of example where <clears throat> collapses. Happen over long periods of time, like a, like a, they're not necessarily like one, one crash like overnight. And yeah, who, yeah, and it is like the the future is totally unpredictable. Like we take, 
like the kind of end of history concept where we take everything that we've had, the way things were over the past few decades for granted, but then things can suddenly change. So either, I mean, either could be the case. Like people shouldn't be too invested in one, one narrative. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want, I still, I mean, as much as I hate the way things are right now, I don't want to, I don't, I don't uh, hope for everything to fall apart and like for there to be oh, some. So yeah. Like you're not like the accelerationist ideology. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I want I want to see things get better, uh, but it's it's you know it's hard to that that's gonna if that happens you know and I and I I mean we know we don't know what what the future has in store, but if that man if that manages to happen, there's there's going to be some some kind of con- convulsions, you know, so there, there's going to be something's going to have to give way for in order to pave the way for uh, you know a better world. Um, and I wouldn't dream of knowing. <laughs> I'm no prophet, so I wouldn't dream of knowing what those things are. But you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Andy Nowicki, it's been a great show. Thanks so much for being on, and check out his book Muse on Terror House Publishing. Thank you, Robert, for having me. It's it's been fun, and uh, I hope to hope to do it again soon.